It's all fun and games until someone pops a vocal cord trying to imitate Nathan Queen on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I sat down with Colton Montgomery. Colton, what you thinking about? Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Minnesota. Just got done playing a practice round with you and excited and honored to be here right now. Yeah, this is one of the highest honors that anybody in disc golf can be conferred to be a guest on the Fish Golf Broadcast, a critically acclaimed and uh, very well-respected podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, this, extremely honored to be here with yeah, you right I, now. I think you should retire right after this. What, like, there's nowhere else to go. Don't tempt me. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. So for context, we are at Kale's Place at the Preserved Championship uh, near Clearwater, Minnesota. Uh, and Colton, this is your fourth year here. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Fourth year coming um, here. And that's the fourth year that the Preserved Championships has existed at all. So yep. uh, you've pretty much been on tour since the Disc Golf Pro Tour began, and you've seen stops come and go. Um, you've also been able to cultivate relationships with locals all around the country, uh, some of whom are hosts for you, some of whom caddy for you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you and Kona have been able to make that happen and what's special about it? Yeah, so first of all, I'll say that Kona and I are kind of recluses. We, we like to keep to ourselves here, so um, finding hosts on the road that we feel comfortable around, you know, um, Hasn't been a struggle, but we're very picky. You know, sometimes we would just rather be by ourselves in the van than to really have a host. Um, in the last couple of years, we've reached out to more people and got more hosts. And just meeting the people that we have originally met, um, having hosts, like they've given us such great experiences that it's made us want to search for more hosts. You know, so um, a lot of these hosts aren't people that just host us. I mean, they are they do host us once a year because unfortunately we don't get to see them <laughs> much outside of that. But the relationships we've built, it's not just they host us, we go on our way and that's it. You it's, see them 51 weeks later. Yeah. yeah. And then, but it's, uh, you know, more on a personal level, uh, they have my phone number, shoot me a text, you know, Hey, good round or keep fighting. And it's like, it's cool to build those relationships, not just as a host, you know, it's, uh, we all can agree that disc golf has allowed us to meet amazing people. Right. And that is one side of like, you. we all see the same disc golfers week in and week out playing the same tournaments and stuff, but we don't always meet the locals that are maybe putting work into the course, you know, so to stay with them and hear sides of the work that they've put into the course, what they've done to get the tournament here is... Yeah, or, or what the local scene is like when when they're not trying to put on a show for the, the pro tour. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's just been cool to meet all these different because deep down they're fans you know but then like being at their house you get to know them on a more personal level and it's like you got to get to come out of like the disc professional disc golfer suit you know and like show them your side outside of disc golf yeah and, and that's definitely something that i want to do with the fish golf broadcast like people see you on coverage every now and again or see kona on coverage and you're a two-dimensional caricature right then like you are the player and nothing more but yep. like you have thoughts you have feelings you have dreams absolutely <laughs> Some good, some not good, but... <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. Exactly. Um, so, currently, y'all are posted up in 
a, a nice shady spot at the preserve course. Uh, there are many other courses that will allow you to stay. Some don't. Uh, what makes a really good course campsite? Honestly, I feel like for me, that's a very simple question. Um, a safe place to park. If there's a safe place to park at the course, like that's good enough for me. I feel like that's one of the toughest things on the road is finding safe spots. You know, like I'm, you never want to park somewhere and get woken up in the middle of the night you know so it's like when you're on site of the course you know that that's never an issue and it's like you can go to bed and not wonder if someone's gonna come knock at your door at three o'clock in the morning so really don't I don't I'm not too picky give me a <laughs> give me a place that's safe to park and that's good enough for me I don't if there's shade great if there's a river great it, bathrooms and water and stuff like that bathrooms more of a necessity mm -hmm. you know but um so you as a professional disc golfer have probably used more porta potties than almost any other profession i think that's very fair to say um what makes a good porta potty like what what are you looking for when you see a row of porta potties number one i found this out yesterday at the des moines challenge um something that is level it's okay. not, it, it is not very easy or comforting to step into a porta potty and all of a sudden like things are moving that shouldn't be moving. Have you ever stepped into one that is not level and it's like dewy outside? So you step inside and don't have traction? No. Oh my God. It's it, like, it makes you, makes your heart leap. Ugh. I hope I don't experience no. that at least anytime soon. Um, are you targeting shade? Yeah. Shade is important, but we also have solar on the van. Oh, I'm, so, I'm saying for porta potties, but we can oh, go back to your van too. Oh, oh, okay. Um, like, what what are the life hacks for people who don't use porta potties nearly as often, who are used to the conveniences of modern plumbing? If you can find one in the shade, take it 100% of the time. If you've got one in the sun, make it sweet, make it fast, <laughs> get out of there because it is steamy. When they're sitting out in the sun. Definitely. So. Uh, try, try to get your business done in the morning before everything can heat up. Exactly. And if there's a row, uh, are you going for an end one or a middle one? I think, you know, I don't, you're, you're asking the hard questions today, which I appreciate because people don't ask these very often. No, like think of all the other bullshit disc golf podcasts that want to know, Colton, how did you start playing disc golf? You want to know which porta potty I pick and why I pick it. This is important. I'm this is picking, stuff that can be useful to other people. I'm picking a middle one because the, the outside ones are convenient for everybody else. So there's probably 50 people that have used the outside ones where maybe there's 10 that have used the center ones because it's a matter of 50 feet, but it's what's convenient. I'll walk the extra feet to have a little cleaner porta potty. Yeah, for sure. And you're thinking the social dynamics of this. That's like Absolutely. that's next level thinking. Um, when you live in a van and have only access to porta potties, it's pretty important. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the 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 worst case scenario is walking in there and getting done what you need to get done and realizing there's no toilet paper. And then in which you walk back to the van and. Your shift continues there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
that means that you have to be well prepared when you live in a van for all circumstances. 100%. Um, can, can you talk about how your preparation and living scenarios have evolved over the last, uh, is it seven, eight years now? Yeah, this is 2017 was my first year on the road. So seventh year on tour. Yeah. Um, you were asking how, re, re go back to that question? Please? Sure, sure. So segueing from the preparation of having toilet paper with you if you need it um what have you learned throughout those years to be ready for every situation while living in a van well it first makes me realize how much i don't want to travel in anything but a van i mean an rv would be fine but going to a car like i I literally thought about this today like if i had to downsize back to a car and just travel in a car it would be very hard because the one thing I value about having the van is everything is literally right there. If I walk out on hole, f- hole one and it's a beautiful day and by hole five it's raining, like the van's right here, my raincoat's right here. Like if I had a vehicle, maybe that stuff is at an Airbnb. Maybe it's at a hotel. Hmm. So I have an umbrella and a rain jacket in the car. Okay, maybe the rain jacket wasn't a good a good example. Hmm. But... Um, I have access to everything in my van where you, for instance, are maybe staying in Minneapolis for the Clearwater and maybe not everything in your van makes it or in your car makes it to the car for your drive to the course. Another example is I'm going to have to set up a tent after we finish this podcast. You're going to open your van, you're going to close the door, and you're going to go to sleep if you want to. See, thank you for being a great host and making me, that is a prime example of like, man, I drive eight hours and I pull over a little bit sooner than I anticipated. And maybe the hotel, maybe you you have a hotel, but you get tired an hour before your hotel. Like I have the luxury of just being able to pull over wherever really I want and, and sleep. And I that's like such a luxury to me where I don't have to spend the money to go stay in a hotel or an Airbnb. I can just post up for six hours and back on the road. Sure. Definitely some appeal. And, and that means that when you do have a host, like kind of all you're asking for is like let a shower and then we can go back outside to sleep on the street. 100%. <laughs> there are those rare occasions where it's outrageously hot and if our host has an extra room, we will gladly take them up on that, but I would say most of the time, 75% of the time Kona and I are in the van. We uh in the last 5, 6, 7 years, we've really found the van to be home for us and we feel comfortable in there and yeah. Do you think there's a, a future in which y'all do buy property and, and kind of switch away from full-time van life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, in the next, I don't know, originally we said three years, but this lifestyle is appealing and it's not something that, you know, I kind of want to do as long as we can do. But I would say anywhere in three, five, seven years, be time to maybe have a kid and obviously at that point living in a van traveling won't really be where we want to be (laughs) having a family um that's a that's an entire new level of preparation for van life (laughs) yeah like maybe a an rv in that aspect but yeah i mean as much as i love touring and have enjoyed all of it i do look forward to the days where I have a house where, like, I know where the local grocery store is, you know, like, on the road, there's so many unknowns, don't know where you're going to park that night, you don't know 
it helps coming back to these same tour stops year after year because you start to learn the towns but at first it's like you you literally don't know anything so that's sometimes a little uneasy and it's I look forward to the stability of settling down and having a home. Yeah, absolutely. And y'all kind of have family spread out over three different states, Yep. Um, which, which is nice because it means there's three different places you can kind of dive off tour when you want to. Definitely. Um, but th- that also means you don't get extended quality time. Yep. You know, we uh, part of us think about Colorado because that's where we're both born and raised, you know, and... That's where my brother and family is. My brother recently had a kid, so it would be cool to have a kid and then be able to spend time next to each other. Um, But then, you know, Colorado's cold. We don't really like being cold, so that's where California... Not actually, I I don't even know why I say California, because California isn't even a thought of where we would live. That's just where Kona's folks live now. But Texas is somewhere that we've really thought about calling home. Money goes a long way there compared to Colorado and... They've got pretty good disc golf out there. Uh, certainly the way the Pro Tour has been going. Um, there were three stops there this year, two last year, right? Maybe maybe three. I even. think three last year, including, yeah, three last year. So certainly active scenes. And, uh, I mean, there's kind of been an exodus of players going from northern climates down to, say, Pensacola. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people moving to Florida. Or Charlotte or Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of hand hot spots for disc golf. Mm-hmm shocker why people would move there yeah uh it's a lot easier to motivate yourself to go outside when the high for the day is 60 instead of minus six yes absolutely um but i don't necessarily want to live in a place that my house can be gone in a blink of an eye well i mean the venn diagram of all the natural disasters leaves a a pretty small unit outside of that uh well Good luck when you're actuar- actuarial duties trying to find the right place to live, if that's the <laughs> the motivator. It is definitely a motivator. I mean, yeah, it'll be hard, but I mean, yeah. I don't want a place that has a, lo- a high likelihood of natural disaster. So for now, it's an all-too-mobile home. Super safe. I'm Chris Nelson, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast while I bang some putts. Hey guys, I'm Clint Calvin, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broad DC Cast while I stretch out after the round. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. So please support the Fish Golf Broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com, and you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. Colton, what's so great about Colorado? Colorado is beautiful. Colorado has amazing mountains. Colorado has pretty good disc golf. And really, this doesn't mean anything to anyone but me, but Colorado's home. Okay, well, I guess that's important to you, and that it's what's inside that counts. Yeah. Um, Colorado's also produced a shocking number of 
high-level disc golfers. Uh, just on tour, I can think of you and Joel Freeman and uh, Tristan Tanner, right? Yep. Uh, Eagle. Eagle McMahon. Joe Revere yep. is not really touring, but certainly could be. 100%. Um, and then there's a handful of others who are hovering around 1,000, and we see them at some of the regional stops. What do you think it is about Colorado or elevation that is producing that? Well, I do want to touch really quick on something that you just briefly said. Uh, I believe Colorado has the hot, the most highest rated players. They they have like four or five rated pl- uh, players rated, I think, in the top 30 in the world. And no other state, I think, besides Arizona has more than two. So it's pretty cool that... And all those Arizona guys are transplants. Yeah, besides <laughs> Barella. Sure. But, I mean... Yeah, I think Joe Revere is in the top 30 of highest-rated players in the world, and the dude's over 40 years old. So, pretty impressive. What I think in Colorado produces such good disc golfers is, I think from the get-go, we have to throw discs very hard. We're throwing at a mile-high elevation, and to get discs that you maybe think are straight in Maryland are overstable discs for us so we learn how to throw really hard and then when we are able to come to sea level I feel like it's a lot easier easier for us to throw a disc we don't have to try as hard to get a disc to fly how it's supposed to because we're coming from Colorado where you have to throw it hard to even relatively go straight Um, so the other school of thought would be using flippier discs to make them act act the way that that more stable disc would at sea level. Is that something that you learn to do or or what? For sure. I mean, I think um, like when I was younger, like where I grew up was at like 4,500 feet and I would have a bag that was pretty set for there. But even if I would go up to like 8,000 feet, like 3,000 feet higher, like I would go to my bin of discs and I'd be grabbing my old beat up <laughs> Like the discs that are too flippy for me here, they're going up and they're probably going to be my go-to drivers at elevation or at higher elevation for me. Uh, is there a particular putting style that seems to lend itself better at elevation? Yeah, I think a spin putt, like a pretty firm spin putt is um, beneficial in Colorado because the way I describe coming going from sea level back to Colorado to putt is I don't feel like anything glides. Like, I have to put it so hard and the disc just falls out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy for me going from Colorado, playing for a couple of months in Colorado and putting, and then being able to come to sea level because I feel like you can putt 50% and the disc is going to go the same as in Colorado if you were trying to throw it as hard as you can. Is that a difficult adaptation? How no. Long, how long does it take you to reset when you come back to the sea level? I think it's easy. I think it's very easy to come here and I mean my natural release release has always been a hyzer so it's like it's not like I really come here and it's like my discs are super understable because I'm automatically throwing them on hyzer but the putt is like it's crazy how it it literally just seems so easy compared to Colorado because Colorado I'm like I'm a straddle putter, mm-hmm. you know, so even 35 feet in Colorado, it feels like I'm trying so hard to get the disc to the basket. And, like, to actually get in the basket, I feel like I'm, like, four feet above the band. And then it's dropping into the basket. Where here at elevation, I feel like I'm able to be more line drive with it. 
Hmm. I don't have to give it the height to drop it into the basket. And was that an adjustment that was more difficult previously, or has it always been easy to snap into sea level is how these, this is how it acts at sea level? Well, I remember putting, it's always been easy. Uh I remember when I was younger, the first time I traveled outside of Colorado, I played the 2009 amateur, 2009 world championships, and it was combined. And I remember. Where was that? um, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh And I was, we actually just drove by there like last week and I drove right by the field where I threw distance like 14 years ago so that that was crazy but I literally told Kona the story I was like man I remember I was at that exact field doing the distance contest and I wasn't used to how the discs flew and I threw like a champion destroyer and I threw it on hyzer and it went 100 feet and it just cut rolled straight into the (laughs) ground because I wasn't I wasn't used to it I'm like okay it's Colorado I can just throw it as hard as I want and I found out pretty quickly that that's not how it worked. But for putting, <laughs> putting, I feel like it's always been something that was easily easy to do from Colorado coming to sea level. Okay. Uh, so this year, Masters Worlds is at 7,000 feet or so in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, what, what line does somebody have to give you to not take Joe Revere? Like how many strokes... I don't know. Joe's – how many strokes does Joe have – do I have to have Joe by to like, beat him? No, no, like Joe versus the field. Are you taking oh. Joe minus four and a half? Because, like, he's he's very good, and he's already practiced at a similar elevation. I, I was originally going to say more than that, honestly, but there's so many good Masters players now. You know, like you've got Kale, that's a Masters player now. Philo, Philo. Steve Yeah, you know, it's like, but yeah, no, he definitely has a leg up going. I mean, those he plays at that elevation all the time. And thinking about some of the players we just named, I can't think of many of them that play at that elevation too often. Yeah, you know? I, I know Steve Rico was at the Flagstaff A tier this year, probably so that he could get some reps in. Yep. You played the Flagstaff tournament earlier this year. I did, and I definitely noticed the lack of glide. It also seemed like wind didn't affect the disc as much, maybe because the air isn't as dense. Um, is that is that an imagined thing? I think that's an imaginary thing. Okay. Because, yeah, in Colorado, the wind... <laughs> I've thrown some shots where I think the wind is... I mean, I do it at, on tour, too, so sure, it's sure. not just Colorado. But, yeah, no, I've thrown some shots in Colorado... I think the thing that's tough in Colorado is you could be throwing off the top of one hill and then throwing 700 feet down, and in that valley, the wind could be doing something totally different, you know. Um, but no, I think I think if you play at elevation again, the wind will probably affect it. Okay. Well, I liked maybe I was just really good at managing the wind that week. Um, that's not true. Or I, I was not. Well, that wouldn't have made sense. I was going to say maybe you were throwing such overstable stuff because you were at elevation that it no, was I, just not affecting it. I deliberately switched out about three quarters of my bag uh, so that I had no preconceptions about what the discs were supposed to do. Like, it was only backups. Now, what would have happened if you went with your tour bag? Would have you been in trouble? Like, um, would have you had too many stable stuff? I think I'm the rare touring player who, would, who could credibly say, no, I would have been fine because... Uh, so much of my bag is East Coast wood stuff, and I want to throw a Heiser release that yep. I can 
I can kind of just like slot everything one stability up and it works. All right. At now, elevation. Now I want to know how your comets flew there. Still like a genius. I'm really good. Of course. Um, last year, or maybe the year before, there was the DGPT match play event yep. in Colorado. It was kind of a mid season stop. RIP. RIP. Uh, tell why. why? Last year, the Disc Golf Pro Tour hosted the match play event at Bailey Disc Golf Course, which is, in pretty much any Colorado disc golfer's opinion, probably a top five course in the whole entire state. What What about it? Um, up in the mountains, most of the good Colorado courses are going to be in the mountains. I don't think really there's anything in Denver or the surrounding areas that's truly a, a great course. So... One, going into the mountains gives you a true Colorado mountain feeling. Um, the views of the course were amazing, and it was a private course, so it wasn't overly packed. It was very well taken care of, no trash. It was actually owned by a school, hmm. and that's why I say RIP is because the school district decided that they were going to sell the piece of land, and they no longer wanted disc golf on it, so the one disc golf pro tour event that's ever been hosted in colorado the course is now gone alas yeah um i i know you don't get to play that much in colorado but what do you think it would take to get an elite series event back there honestly people wanting to go there i don't think people want to go to five thousand feet to play a course and relearn a whole entire new bag really yeah that seems like a pretty uh pretty striking maybe condemning tone of pro disc golfers i mean i've heard that from a few people and i so i don't know that it's fair to say like the whole entire disc golf pro tour feels that way but i mean there's a silver series event that's been hosted in colorado the last handful of years and it doesn't and it's literally right on our way from jonesboro to the west coast and it never draws too many people sure and certainly that's a really long drive like it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 16 hours from jonesboro to colorado and then how far is it to 12 another 12 to california stops yeah so that's a long way maybe people don't want don't want to play another event knowing that there's other big events coming up that could be i mean i know that there's tournaments that i wish i could play or want to play but logistically it's like doesn't quite fit you know so i would say if colorado could get a better job of maybe fitting it but see i like say that but it's like i feel like it fits pretty good but it's like like you said maybe but yeah it's like how what else do you adjust to make it work this year the zoo town open which is at 3500 feet in missoula montana i mean i i circled that real quick um, partially because I had friends there, but partially because I had seen it on Central Coast years ago, and it looked really fun. Um, but that happened to be right between Portland Open and Dynamic Discs Open, both Elite Series events, bookended by other big ones. Like, the schedule's kind of just so packed that I don't know where you fit it in, even though geographically those make total sense. No, yeah, I mean, you've got me thinking now. It's like, man, it's obviously my home state, and I would love to see a big event there and now you got me rethinking my statement that maybe touring pros don't want to relearn their bag but I mean I feel like that is part of it but I 
I don't know. I can't, I can't truly give you a, an answer of why. Well, I, speaking personally, I think it would be really cool to have that be another consideration. Like, you hop on tour and you don't get to play a whole bunch of 260 woods par threes anymore if you come from the East Coast you better learn to throw 500 feet real quick. Yep. It would, or you have to learn how to throw like credible forehands 350. You have to learn how to play courses that have a ton of OB or water or wind. Like it would be really neat to have elevation be another factor in that. For sure. And I, I mean, it's not like, I mean, Colorado is in non-biased, like a destination. Like people want to go to Colorado, want to check it out, you know? So like, I think it'd be awesome to get another mountain course up there i just also think the tough thing about having a the courses that are good enough in my opinion in colorado to host an event um they lack the amenities you know like places to park you know like we're way up in the mountains in colorado and like you're asking 50 or 60 people that drive rvs and vans to like i i'm just saying i know that these courses were like in my mind, if we were to have a disc golf pro tour in Colorado, like I want to showcase the mountains. I don't want to go to the Eastern Plains and play a flat course that looks like we're playing in Kansas, right? Like I, even if it's a good course, I want to showcase the mountains and right. everything of Colorado. Yeah, ju- just because the location says Colorado doesn't necessarily differentiate it from other stuff. Exactly. You know? Ask Matt Orham and Greg Barsby about their first experience in Colorado. It, is this... A very similar thing to Dumb and Dumber, where that John Denver's full of shit. He, uh, they totally, they went to Fort Morgan, which is Eastern Plains. <laughs> it looks like Kansas, yeah. and they took a train to the tournament and went right through all the mountains and got to Fort Morgan. And they're like, "What is this? Well, I thought we were gonna see mountains and stuff. This isn't <laughs> this isn't Colorado." So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the tough thing is just a course that can truly showcase Colorado disc golf. It's tough to allow people to park there's no courses that we have a wide open field for 60 vans to come park for a week for sure so like just spitballing what do you think it would take to do a proper pro level course on one of the ski resorts during the summer so some of the ski resorts do have a have permanent or seasonal courses right Correct. like winter park does that seems even harder to get people to go up to play than at 8,000 feet because all of a sudden then we're at 12,000 feet or 10,000 feet and you've got to take a gondola or a ski lift up to the top of the mountain and stuff. And it's like... I, I guess my thinking is I know there's enough parking at ski resorts. For sure. <laughs> I know there's enough lodging. Then, then we're talking the money. You know, when, when we're up at those ski resorts, that's expensive living up there sure and you know c- certainly this is this is also a question that maybe i pose to some of the dgpt logistics folks and say like what what does it take to do this cool thing seriously um but anyway like i am from maryland we haven't had this is the first year since 2014 that there's going to be an, an mpo a tier in the state of Maryland. Now, granted, I can get to other states within an hour, um, w- nice. which have had eight tiers. But, like, it kind of sucks for you to be on an island and feel like my state just has no representation in this. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think Colorado definitely could put on an amazing, 
I mean, we have the Mile High Disc Golf Club that's got over 500 active members in our club. It might be even more than that now, mm-hmm. you know, but we've got one of the largest clubs and a great community, and we've got really good courses. So it would be, it would be awesome and an honor to have a true elite series, not a silver series where people are picking and choosing, where it's an elite series where it's like on 99% of people's schedule. Like, they're coming to Colorado. Yeah, definitely. So, fingers crossed. Maybe, hopefully in the three to five to seven years that you stay in the van. How many miles are on that sucker? 139,000. Okay, well, here's to 139 more. That I would love to keep this for 139,000 more miles. Uh, already built out and has your has your scent in it. That's Very right. home and familiar. <laughs> the scent might get overwhelming if we go another five to seven years and especially if there's a whole bunch of rainy tournaments in there those socks start to yeah Yeah. Mm. and you know like when you have a shoe problem like you like to collect shoes and your van's full of like 20 pairs of shoes those get stinky too yeah absolutely um just microbe factories yeah um where do you do laundry what's your what's the worst place you do laundry i mean the only place i do laundry is a laundromat outside of my house um i can't think of like a Finding a laundromat in a nice part of town <laughs> is not always that easy. Sometimes you find these laundromats and the one you look at reviews. If you don't look at reviews before you do anything, I think that's a mistake. <laughs> I, before I do anything, I go read reviews. Before I buy anything, I read reviews. And uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. We were talking about reviews. Uh, laundromat. What's the oh. worst laundromat? Anywhere that you know there's a possibility that you drop your laundry off and come back and it might not be there again. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, honestly, I haven't had that many bad laundromat experiences. I, Like I said, the hardest part is finding a quality one. Yeah. You know, some laundromats are just not all that good. But when you have one way to wash your laundry... Like you want to find a decent one so your clothes actually get clean. For sure. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast and want to reach out to me about it, you can talk to me on Instagram and Twitter at fish58320. And if you hated the podcast, you found it a waste of your time and need to yell at somebody about it, where can folks find you, Colton? At cmonty35876 on Instagram or Colton Montgomery on Facebook. I would love to uh, hear your negative or positive feedback on this uh, <laughs> This fine, fine program. Program. Uh, do you have any tour series stuff or ways folks can support you? Yeah, I still have some Lone Howl 3s that I believe are on the Discmania website. Or uh, if you shoot me a d- direct message on Instagram, I always have some stuff in the van that I can ship out. So, Blamo. Uh, Colton. Who is the most medium Chiefs player of the last 20 years? Oh, man. Put me on the... I mean, just because it's recent, like, I feel like this Clyde Edwards-Alaire guy had a great opening couple years, and then the Chiefs have decided to sign a bunch of new running backs, and now he is just kind of being a formal former super bowl champ sitting there getting his job taken by a bunch of other dudes that's all for this episode of the fish golf broadcast but be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold 
Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast.